uh, 1 Samuel chapter 17 today. We're going to be looking at the entire chapter. I know it's a long, but long, long one, but we will make it through it. Um, and a message that I have entitled, Big Goliath, Bigger God. So uh, with that being said, we're going to go ahead and we will pray and get into it. So Lord God, we're just so thankful for your grace, for your mercy, for your love, Lord. Um, we just pray that you be with us today, Lord. Just help us, like we said, to get your word into us. We want to get your word into our hearts and into our minds, Lord. Just pray that your word takes, uh, takes deep root into our heart, Lord. Lord, as, as we just leave this place today, that we don't forget it, um, Lord, that, but we, that we meditate on it, that we think over it, um, and that we just worship you through it, Lord. Just uh, be with us. Be over the Bible study. Pray that you are just glorified, God. As you have said, you know, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. So just pray that uh, we hear your word today, Lord. And we ask these things in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. Well, folks, when you're faced with the battles of life that seem insurmountable, what matters not is your physical ability, your intellectual ability, nor your emotional ability, but rather the size of your faith. As most of you know, 1 Samuel chapter 17 is the section of Scripture that uh, captures the very famous story of David defeating the Philistine warrior Goliath. And I know for many of you, it would be easy to sort of turn your ears off right now because you feel like you know the story. However, may I suggest to you that no matter if a person has read over a section of Scripture 20, 30, or even 100 times, uh, you're going to find more as you approach it with an open heart because God's Word is uh, living and sharper than any two-edged sword. Amen? All right, so I trust that as we make our way through 1 Samuel 17, the Lord will show many things to our hearts. So we're going to go ahead and dive right in. Here we are, 1 Samuel chapter 17. We're going to start right here in verse 1. And it says, Now the Philistines gathered their armies together to battle and were gathered at Socho, which belongs to Judah. They encamped between Socho and Azekah in Ephes Damon. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together, and they encamped in the valley of Allah. And drew up in battle array against the Philistines. The Philistines stood on a mountain on one side, and Israel stood on a mountain on the other side, with a valley in between them. Now I'm sure the opportunity will present itself one day, but I personally have not had the privilege of traveling to Israel. However, from what I've studied and from what I've been told by those who have traveled to Israel, the Valley of Allah looks very much the same today as it did centuries ago in the time of David and Goliath. Now, the Bible says that the armies were encamped upon mountains. However, we would probably just refer to these mountains as large hills, okay? You see, uh, there's a lot of large green hills in this area of Israel, and they're called mountains here because that's from an Israelite perspective, where they didn't have a lot of large mountains in their area. But the armies were encamped upon these large hills with a valley in between them, and this valley was a battleground. And in your mind's eye, you can kind of picture these large armies with thousands of soldiers in each army, all prepared for battle with their weaponry. But before the armies could charge one another, let's read what happens next in verse 4. And a champion went out from the camp of the Philistines named Goliath from Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. 
Now, six cubits in a span was anywhere from about eight and a half-ish feet tall to just over nine feet. Okay, a cubit was measured from the tip of a person's elbow to the tip of their finger like so, so approximately 18 inches. And a span was measured from the tip of a person's thumb to, a, to the tip of their pinky like that. This is how uh, things were measured prior to having our standard and metric universal systems that we have in place today. Um, and you should know that there is some debate among Bible scholars as to just exactly how tall Goliath was. And we don't know for certain, but we do know that Goliath was a very large man. And anywhere from eight and a half-ish feet tall to nine-ish feet tall is a pretty close estimate. Now, some people will try to argue that it's impossible for a person to be that tall, and so this is just a part, part of the story that was added for emphasis. However, that is simply not true. While it may be very rare for a person to be that big, it's definitely not unheard of. There have been several people throughout the course of history who have been recorded as being much taller than the average person. For example, there was a man by the name of Robert Wadlow right here in the United States who died in 1940, and he was 8 feet 11 inches tall. So, um, just to give you guys sort of a reference, can you guys throw that picture up there for me? So that way, yeah, just so you guys can have sort of a reference. What you're looking at there, and I've got the screen behind me. What you're looking at there on your right, this here is Andre the Giant. Andre was 7 foot 4, okay? And this guy here in the middle... That's Arnold Schwarzenegger, okay? Arnold was six foot two, is six foot two, okay? And the guys on either side of him about seven foot four. Now, Goliath was anywhere from eight and a half to nine feet tall, right? So he would be a good foot, foot and a half taller than Andre the Giant there. And David, the Bible tells us, was a pretty small guy. He was smaller than the average dude, okay? So he would have been shorter than than uh, uh, Arnold for sure. So that kind of gives you a mental reference in your mind between the two size differences of those guys as we move through the rest of uh, 1 Samuel 17 here. But not only was Goliath very tall, but he was also extraordinarily strong. So let's read about that in verse 5. He had a bronze helmet on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail. And the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. That's about 125 pounds, somewhere in there. And he had bronze armor on his legs. It's like shin guards. And a bronze javelin between his shoulders. Now the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam, which means it was very thick, very big around. And his iron spearhead weighed 600 shekels. And a shield bearer went before him. Then he stood and cried out to the armies of Israel and said to them, Why have you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and you the servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, if he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you will be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. So you can kind of picture Goliath in your mind's eye and just how frightening he was. He was this monster of a human that stepped out before the entire army of Israel with an astonishing amount of armor and large weaponry. And I imagine that he had this big booming voice, you know, that probably just carried through that valley down there. 
And so he stood before the whole army of Israel and he said, look, let's forget about all this battle nonsense. I'll represent my side. You send out a man to represent your side and we'll settle this right here. We don't have to shed all this blood. Let's just do this one-on-one winner take all. If you guys win, we'll be your slaves. But if we win, you'll be our slaves. Now think about this for just a second. Here's Goliath, one man, standing before the entire Israelite army. 500,000, maybe 1,500 men. Why in the world didn't the Israelites just band together and say, forget this one-on-one stuff, let's just rush this guy, all of us, and strike him down? Now, I know Goliath was a big, scary guy, but I mean, come on, he was still just one guy. And it's because they were crippled with fear. So let's read about that in verse 11. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. And no doubt that was Goliath's goal. The whole reason why he paraded out in front of the Israelite army in full battle array was to make them fearful. Goliath defeated the Israelite army on fear alone. Now, folks, it doesn't matter if you're Patrick Mahomes stepping onto the Super Bowl field. It doesn't matter if you're Conor McGregor stepping into the octagon. It doesn't matter if you're in your neighbor's backyard playing a game of badminton. If you can strike fear into the heart of your opponent, you have already gone a long way towards winning that battle. It's no wonder why the devil uses fear as a tool to cripple us. Folks, if we allow fear to grip our hearts, the enemy will use that to his advantage over and over and over again. Oh, don't raise your hand whenever the pastor is doing an altar call. That's embarrassing. Don't go down into the water and get baptized. You hardly know these people. You don't even know the pastor. Wait a second. You actually think that you're going to be effective to leading this person to the Lord by inviting them to church and sharing your story with them? They're going to laugh at you. Fear is extremely crippling if we allow it to grip our hearts. This is why the Bible clearly teaches that fear is not of God. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, and guys, I encourage you, allow those words to be burned in your heart. Let's read that again. For God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. What had happened to the Israelite army is what happens to anyone when you choose to walk by sight and not by faith. We'll see the right way to approach this situation later on in the chapter, but for right now, just like if you were watching a movie, the camera's going to pan off of the Israelite army shaking in their boots, and it's going to pan on over to David back at his father's farm. So let's read about that, picking up in verse 12. Now David was the son of... Excuse me. David was the son of that Ephrathite of Bethlehem, Judah, whose name was Jesse, and who had eight sons. And the man was old, advanced in years, 
in the days of Saul. The three oldest sons of Jesse had gone to follow Saul to the battle. The name, the name of these three sons who went out to the battle were Eliab, the firstborn, next to him Abinadab, and the third Shammah. David was the youngest, and the three oldest followed Saul. But David occasionally went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. And the Philistine drew near and presented himself forty days, morning and evening. Then Jesse said to his son David, Take now for your brothers an ephah of this dried grain, these ten loaves, and run to your brothers at the camp, and carry these ten cheeses to the captain of their thousand, and see how your brothers fare, and bring back news of them. In other words, Mom and I want to know how your brothers are doing. Let's go get a news report and bring it back to us, okay? So Saul and, they, and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Allah fighting with the Philistines. So David rose early in the morning, left the sheep with the keeper, and took the things, and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the camp as the army was going out to fight and shouting for the battle. And in other words, they were psyching themselves up for battle. They were psyching themselves up to go against the Philistines. For Israel and the Philistines had drawn up a battle array, army against army. And David left the supplies in the hand of the, the excuse me, in the hand of the supply keeper ran to the army and came and greeted his brothers. Then as he talked, talked with them, there was the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, coming up from his armies of the Philistines, and he spoke according to the same words. So David heard them. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were dreadfully afraid. So the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel, and it shall be that the man who kills him, the king will enrich with great riches, will give him his daughter, and give, him, give his father's house exemption from taxes in Israel. Well, family, isn't this pathetic? This has been going on for 40 days. Well over a month, the Israelite army has been gathered for battle against the Philistines and have accomplished nothing. There they were, each day, sucking themselves up to go out to battle against the Philistines until Goliath stepped out on the battlegrounds. Once he stepped out and presented himself yet again, the men would run back to their tents with their tails tucked between their legs. It finally got to the point where King Saul stood up before his army and said, Look, look guys, I need one man, just one man. Come on, give me one guy to stand up against Goliath and defeat him. Any man who does this, I'll make him rich. I'll give him great riches. No response. Okay, Saul said, not only will I give him great riches, but he can marry my daughter. You'll be a part of the royal family. You'll be a prince in Israel. Crickets. Okay, Saul said, final offer. Not only will I make him rich, not only can he marry my daughter, but I'll give him and his whole family tax exemptions in all Israel. Still, no one would volunteer. You see, folks, this was no longer a physical battle. It was a spiritual battle. And the Israelite army, although they were well prepared for physical battle, they were not prepared for spiritual battle. They had no faith that God was with them. They had no trust that the Lord was for them. In other words, they weren't wearing the full armor of God. 
They had no belt of truth. They had no breastplate of righteousness. But most importantly, they had no shield of faith. Just as Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 6, it's verses 14 through 17, Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, did you catch that? Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Now let me ask you guys something. You think this Goliath tactic was a fiery dart from the devil? You bet it was. Now the reason why the Israelite army wasn't doing anything wasn't primarily because they were cowards. There may have been a streak of cowardice in them, but that's not the primary reason why nothing was being done. The problem was they weren't seeing things from God's perspective. They weren't seeing things the way the Lord saw things. Look at David and how much of a contrast this is, right here in verse 26. Then David spoke to the men who stood by him, saying, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? David couldn't believe it. For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? you guys catch the, perspective, the difference in perspective there? The Israelites saw things through a worldly lens. David saw things through a spiritual lens. The Israelites saw Goliath, and they were dismayed and greatly afraid. David saw Goliath and said, who does this guy think he is? Does he really believe that he can overthrow the armies of the living God? When the Israelites said, this man, David said, this uncircumcised Philistine. They saw Goliath as a mighty man of war. David saw Goliath as a man who has no faith and a man who has no part in the covenant of God. You see, folks, the Israelites were walking by sight. David was walking by faith, just as the Bible tells us to do. That's in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, for we walk by faith, not by sight. And why would we not? God reassures us over and over again that he is with us. Isaiah chapter 41, verse 10, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Isaiah chapter 35, verses 3 and 4. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who are fearful hearted, be strong and do not fear. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. With the recompense of God, he will come and save you. Last one, Psalm chapter 27, verse 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? If Christ is in your heart, we have every reason to not be afraid. If Christ is in your heart, we have every reason to walk by faith. And David was doing just that. And when God is working in your life, 
Just when you get your perspective aligned with God's. Just when you've been successful in walking by faith. We can expect an attack from the devil. He wants to throw a monkey wrench in things. So let's read how that attack comes here in verse 28. Now Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger was aroused against David. And he said, Why did you come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know the pride and the insolence of your heart, for you have come down here to see the battle. And David said, What have I done now? Is there not a cause? Then he turned from him toward another and said the same thing. And these people answered him as the first ones did. Eliab, David's oldest brother, is suddenly angry. Now notice this. It's not a Philistine that's attacking David. It's not even a common soldier. It's someone from David's own household, his oldest brother. Now folks, whether you know it or not, most generally, younger brothers look up to their older brothers. And Eliab, and not only was Eliab David's older brother, but he was his oldest brother. And not only was David Eliab's younger brother, he was his youngest brother. So you know these words just pierced David's heart. But the question is why? Why was Eliab so angry with David? Well, there's probably a few different reasons as to why Eliab was angry. However, I'm going to suggest to you that it was primarily because of these two reasons. Number one, Eliab's pride was bruised when his younger brother came down in front of the entire Israelite army and was more courageous than any of the men there. Specifically, more courageous than Eliab. I mean, think about it. There they are, hundreds of Israelite soldiers ready for battle in their battle gear, Most of them, if not all of them, fully grown men that are probably experienced in battle. Needless to say, there was a lot of testosterone in the air. Okay, The irony of that, though, is that they were all shaken in their boots at this point in time. Then here comes David. Just a young man, his late teens, early 20s. The Bible tells us that he was a smaller guy. He was handsome. He was good looking. And he's the one who has the courage to stand up against Goliath. He's the one who has the courage to call Goliath out. So you know that just hit Eliab right in the pride. He told David, get out of here, David. Go back to your sheep. I know the insolence of your heart. You're just here to see a show. Now, the second primary reason that I'll suggest to you as to why Eliab was angry is this. David was right, and deep down, Eliab knew it. David had the right perspective in the situation, and Eliab, along with the rest of the army, didn't. The last thing you want when you're walking in the flesh and when you're walking in fear is for someone who's walking in the Spirit and walking in holiness to come around and start doing and saying all the right things. Especially... When you know they're right. Man, is that annoying. Man, does that get under your skin. All you want them to do is leave. Now I'm going to throw this out to you guys. 
Imagine if David had listened to Eliab. Imagine if David had just said, look, I don't have to take any of this. I'm going home. Imagine the massive missed opportunity if David had just turned around and went home. I mean, it's the easy thing to do, right? You've decided to be bold and step out in faith. You've chosen to walk by faith and not by sight. You've decided to trust in the Lord and lean not on your own understanding. And someone comes along and just runs dagger after dagger through your heart. And maybe it's someone close to you. Maybe it's your own family. Well, listen, folks. If Jesus Christ has begun a good work in you, the Bible promises us that he is faithful to see it through to the end. Carry that shield of faith and use it when the enemy decides to attack you. Let's read on in verse 31. Now when the words which David spoke were heard, they reported them to Saul, and he sent for him. Then David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight this Philistine. And Saul said to David, You're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep his father's sheep, and when a lion or a bear would come and take a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. Moreover, David said, now listen guys, underline it, highlight it, circle it, Burn it on your heart. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion, from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. Again, you see the difference in perspective here. To Saul, it was foolish for David to believe he could take on Goliath. But to David, it was foolish not to. Because he knew this battle was the Lord's, not his. God's power had been made very real to David before. When a lion or a bear would come and snatch a lamb from his flock, he'd go after it and kill it and retrieve the lamb. Folks, a boy does not go against a lion or a bear and come out on the other side unscathed, let alone win, without divine intervention. What a miraculous work God had done in David's life already, and David knew he would do it again. And you know, I love how David just immediately took action if his flock was in danger. There was no, Lord, is it it your will for me to go and save this lamb? Should I go and save it? No, he just went and rescued it. Because that's just what you do when you're a shepherd. You tend to your flock. You nurture your flock. You protect your flock. It's just what you do. Now, although David may have not realized it, God had been preparing him for this fight against Goliath for a long time. God had sent that lion and that bear to steal a lamb from David's flock to prepare him for this moment. And look where it led David. He says to Saul, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear He will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. 
Guys, do you realize how bold of a statement David is making here? Not only was it bold for him to make the decision to fight Goliath, but also for him to stand firm on his faith in God when everyone was against him. Not only did his own brother try and step up and stop him, but the king of Israel, whom David highly respected, warned against his decision. Yet despite all of their words of warning, David stood firm on his faith. Family, God is always preparing you for the next battle or for the next work in your life. The question is, do you, have, do you trust the Lord to deliver you from the paw of the lion in your life? And when it's time to face your Goliath, are you faithful to say to those doubting you, greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world? This battle belongs to God, not to me. Now let's try and finish out this chapter. Hang with me here. Verse 38. So Saul clothed David with his armor, and he put a bronze helmet on his head. He also clothed him with a coat of mail. David fastened his sword to the armor and tried to walk, for he had not tested them. And David said to Saul, I cannot walk with these, for I have not tested them. So David took them off. Y'all, David went to fight Goliath clothed only in faith. Okay? When he took his, then he took his staff in his hand, and he chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook. And he put them in a shepherd's bag and a pouch which he had, and his sling was in his hand, and he drew near to the Philistine. So the Philistine came and began drawing near to David, and the man who bore the shield went before him. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him, for he was only a youth, ruddy and good-looking. So the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you would come to me with sticks? Remember, David had his shepherd's staff in his hand, that's why he said that. And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. In other words, listen, little boy, I'm going to beat you to a bloody pulp. There's going to be nothing left of you but for the birds to come and pick your bones clean. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword, with a spear, and with a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of army of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you and take your head from you. In other words, not only am I going to kill you, but I'm going to cut your head off, dude. And this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Then all, I mean, someone give me an amen, right? Come on now. Then all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hands. So it was when the Philistine arose and came and drew near to David that David hurried and ran towards the army to meet the Philistine. Man, I love that part. This is another, another time where David could have just dropped to his knees and said, all right, listen, Lord, I know it's your will for, to strike this Philistine dead. Go ahead, whatever you want to do, you know, maybe just a lightning bolt out of heaven or, or, or a hole to swallow him up. However you want to do it, Lord, your will be done. No way, man. The Bible said that David took action. He ran towards the Philistine. I love that. Then David put his, put his hand in his bag and took out a stone, and he slung it and struck the Philistine in the forehead so that the stone sank into his forehead, and he fell, he fell on his face to the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. 
and struck the Philistine and killed him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. Therefore David ran and stood over the Philistine, took his sword, for, took his sword and drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. And you know, David was just a smaller guy and you know uh, Goliath's sword was just massive. So I just picture he just, with all his might, he could just barely pick that sword up and he just let the weight of it fall and shoom, just cut his head off, you know? And when the Philistines saw that, the Philistines saw that the, their champion was dead, they fled. Now the men of Israel and Judah rose and shouted and, pursu- excuse me, and pursued the Philistines as far as the entrance of the valley and to the gates of Ekron. And the wounded of the Philistines fell, fell along the road to Shuram, even as far as Gath and Ekron. Then the children of Israel returned from chasing the Philistines, and they plundered their tents. And David took the head of the Philistine, brought it to Jerusalem. Get that. David picked up Goliath's head and took it with him. But, but he put his armor in his tent. When Saul saw David going out against Philistine, he said to Abner, the commander of his army, Abner, whose son is that youth? And Abner said, as your soul lives, O king, I do not know. And listen, guys, it's not that Saul didn't know who David was. We obviously know that they had a relationship because early in, earlier in the book of 1 Samuel, you know, David would come into the palace of, 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 the, of Saul and he would play the harp for him, you know, when Saul would have his fits of anger and that sort of thing. And so we know that David and, and Saul had a relationship. But what Saul was asking here, he was like, hey, uh, Abner, who's, who's David's dad? At Again, I can't remember because remember, Saul had made a promise to give all of the man's tax exemptions in Israel for killing Goliath. So he wanted to live up to his promise. So, hey, remind, remind me again who David's dad was. I can't remember who it was. So that's the situation here. So the king said, inquire whose son this young man is. Then, the, then, as, David from the, excuse me, then as David returned from the slaughter of the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the head of the Philistine in his hand. Get that. He still had Goliath's head in his hand. Hey, king, check this out. Kind of thing. And Saul said to him, whose son are you, young man? So David said, I am son of your servant Jesse, the Bethlehemite. Man, what an amazing story. What an amazing work God did through David. And it wasn't his physical stature that mattered, nor his intellectual abilities, but the size of his faith. To David, God was more real to him than Goliath. And David recognized that God was on his side. Just as Paul writes, excuse me, in Romans chapter 8. Verse 31, if God is for us, who can be against us? Family, it's so important for us to recognize that God is for us. It's so easy for us to slip into a mindset of religion and begin to think that if we don't check all the boxes, God is just waiting to drop the hammer on us. As if the second we step a toe out of line, God is right there to give us the punishment we so deserve. Wait a second, did you just sin again? Whammo, another lashing for you. What a warped and distorted and wrong view of God. Family, God is for you. God loves you. When you're teaching your little child to walk for the first time, you know, come here, come to daddy, come to mommy, and when they take their, a few wobbly steps and then they fall down, Do you pick them up, smack them across the head and say, I said walk. (laughs) No, you don't. Of course not. You say, oh, that's okay, sweetheart. Let's get up. Let's try again. 
And the Bible says that if we as parents know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more so does God know how to do so to us? I don't know who's closing. Is Abby closing? Yeah, you can make your way up now. God has never given us any reason to believe that he is nothing but for us. If you ever doubt this, all you have to do is look at the cross. God sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sins. All that he could, excuse me, all so that he could give us the opportunity at eternal life in heaven with him. We're all destined for hell without God. He came and saved us. Now I'll end with this. Jesus told us that the storms of life would come. In other words, there may be times in your life when you have to face a Goliath. Maybe you're facing one right now. Maybe you're so overwhelmed by your enemies. You're so overwhelmed with your problems that you've lost true perspective. And you've allowed fear to grip your heart. Well, family, if you put your faith in the one true living God, He is for you, and He will not let you down. That that battle belongs to Him. Oh yes, you may have to draw near to your Goliath. You may have to sling a stone. But if your faith is in God, no weapon formed against you will prosper. Amen? Amen. All right, let's pray. Father God, we just thank you so much for your goodness. We thank you for your grace, your mercy, your love, Lord. We thank you, God, so much for your word. Help us to meditate on your word. Help us to think over your word, that your word might just take root in our hearts, Lord. We thank you so much for your goodness and for the sacrifice on the cross that you made for us, Jesus. We thank you so much that you are for us, Lord. Lord, we were all destined for hell without you, and you came and saved us. We thank you so much for that, God. For what can we say? For what can we do? You're just worthy of all praise, Lord. You're worthy of all honor. We thank you, God, so much. Well, listen, family, as our eyes are closed and our heads are bowed, maybe you're here today because that's just what you do on a Sunday morning. You just get up and you come to church, and maybe it's your hundredth time here, maybe it's your tenth time here, whatever. Maybe you got drugged here by a friend. Well, listen, guys, I'm here to tell you that it is not by accident that you are here today, that you're here right now. It is a divine appointment that God has made with you to ensure that you are here today to hear his word. And you know, maybe through the study you felt God's word tugging on your heart, you felt God tugging on your heart, you felt his, convic- you, you felt his conviction. Well, listen, family, I'm here to tell you that it doesn't matter what you've done It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter who you are. 
don't deny that call from the Lord. Maybe you recognize today that it's time for you to get right with God. Maybe you're done with the sin. You're done with all the stuff in your life that has kept you from him. And he pulled on your heart today and he let you know it's time to return home. It's time to come home. Don't ignore that call, family, it's that, if that's you. Listen, if that's you today, family, if that's you, if you're ready to give your heart to the Lord, if you're ready to turn, take hold of the plow and never look back, if you're ready to accept Jesus Christ into your heart, your Lord and Savior, can you just slip up your hand for me this morning? I'll see it. I'll acknowledge it. You can put it right back down. God bless you. I see you. Anyone else that I can pray for this morning? Listen, it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter where you've been. There's room at the table for you. Is there anyone else I can pray for? Okay, well, listen, if you raised your hand, or even if you didn't raise your hand, know that your salvation is not dependent upon you raising your hand. If that's you today, if you're ready to give your life to Christ this morning, repeat these words after me. Say this prayer with me. And you can say it out loud if you want. You can say it to yourself if you want, however you're comfortable. But say, Lord, I come to you right now. And I recognize and I agree with you that I am a sinner. Lord, I am ready to repent of my sin. And I ask that you come into my heart, Lord. And I choose to believe upon you today as my Lord and Savior. And I choose to live my life for you all the days of my life. Amen.